This is the Degressio podcast of Roman Rhodes Press, helping Christian families inherit the humanities. I'm Cooper Salmon, and I wear several hats at Roman Rhodes, including video production and marketing. And I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Fukushan, founder and CEO of Roman Rhodes. Glad to be here. So this is the pilot episode of a podcast that we've been trying to get off the ground for a, a little while now. I think mm-hmm. we're pretty excited to, to be finally getting started on this. That's right. So for those listeners who don't really know what Roman Rhodes is, what, what is Roman Rhodes Press? Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, we started Roman Rhodes Press 10 years ago, so I think it's about time wow. for us to go ahead and have a <laughs> podcast and kind of give just a little bit of its history. But Roman Rhodes Press is a publisher of classical Christian curriculum. So we uh, focus on those subjects that are uh, in the upper grades where homeschoolers in particular often struggle to um, uh, uh, the subjects where homeschoolers will often feel uh, unprepared to give their kids a classical Christian um, education. And so our byline, our, you know, our, our motto is inherit the humanities. So the mission of Roman roads is to uh, give families the, uh, the tools that would allow them to give their children and themselves a, uh, a classical Christian education to inherit the humanities. Very nice. So 10 years, 10 that's years right. is a long time. I think, I think you only just realized that before we started recording. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. A decade. Yep. So um, why did you start Roman Roads? Uh, well, I am a second generation homeschooler. We're homeschooling our five kids and I grew up uh, homeschooled overseas uh, in France and it was a good uh, Christian education. Um, and towards the end of that education, we became familiar with classical education. Uh, my father started the first uh, classical Christian school in Europe, actually. And um, and so when I, I then went to New St. Andrews College, where I really got to know and really fell in love with the liberal arts. So when I graduated, I realized that if you are going to homeschool your children, there were limited, there was limited curriculum, especially in the high school years, that was um, truly, you know, classical and oriented, created first and foremost with the homeschooler in mind. So where a lot of uh, publishing companies that do classical education will make it for the classroom first and then add on um, aspects that help homeschoolers, um, all of our curriculum came from a homeschool first perspective because we want families to be at the center of the education, which is also why our, our courses tend to be um, friendly for adult education, because we're creating them with mom and dad in mind. Um, so they, um, uh, uh, so yeah, Roman Roads Press um, was uh, created out of a desire to give my kids the education that I wish I had received and create the tools that I want to use. Oh, really? So that's, I, that I've, I don't know if I've ever actually heard that, that it's designed to help the parents, but I'm actually not surprised to hear that. I I know that a lot of times we'll hear testimonials from the parents that they enjoy it. Um, what uh, is is that also what you've heard? The parents have a lot of positive feedback about it. They're they're getting engaged with these subjects as well. Yes, and so our initial goal was really designing it for certain um, grade ranges, but it was somewhat of a surprise that uh, as the years went along that a a good percentage, I've estimated about 20% of our curriculum is purchased by adults whose kids have either graduated or they're little and, you know, edu- their homeschooling is well in their future. Um, I've, I've had... Um, uh, parents uh, uh, who are pregnant with their first baby, who are uh, purchasing old Western culture, a high school curriculum, and they said, we want to be prepared. So a um, a good percentage of our clients are um, purchasing it for themselves. I've had grandparents um, really? purchase old Western culture <laughs> because their grandkids were receiving a classical education <laughs> and they were jealous. Wow. And so they, they said, this is for us. Yeah. I didn't, I'd really, I didn't know that the percentage was that high of, of just adult learning. Um, so that reminds me of something that we've done for the past couple of years. The, um, the reading challenge, the great books reading mm-hmm. challenge for parents, right? That's an active something that we've done to try to get parents involved. What, right. what does that involve? Tell us about the, the challenge. Yeah. For so this is something we've done in a more formal capacity for, uh, for several years. Um, and uh, we've often attached some kind of a, a prize for completing it. But uh, basically, it is a, um, a challenge where we, we tell um, parents, um, 
use one of the units of Old Western Culture, which is our great books program that is each year is divided into four units. So one unit is a fairly um, half a know, semester. Yeah, work. half semester. It's it's a nice little chunk. It's not a full year of of, of school for someone. But uh, do one of our units. You don't have to do the exams. You don't have to do the workbooks. Just read the great books and mm-hmm. watch the lectures uh, for one of our units. And if you complete it then we would give uh, the, you, you know another unit of choice. So it's, you know, it's a, a, oh, for free for, free for ah. completing the program. So that was mm. the challenge with a prize. And they had a, and they had a year to do it. So it was they a had nice a comfortable for parent schedule. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the reason we did that is because every time parents actually used Old Western culture, they became our best marketers, our best fans. So it, it was a very much a, <laughs> good a, a uh, good for them. <laughs> exactly. It, it was good for everyone. Um, and, and the, the thing that, um, really blessed me to, to see is um, uh, the response from parents. I've mm-hmm. had parents who have written us and told us, you know, I've believed in classical education from a theoretical perspective um, for many years. Um, one said, you know, they had a um, engineer background in school and, and really struggled in understanding. They, they knew it was important, but they didn't truly understand why uh, literature was important to education and life. And they said this, um, now I do. Like others have said, I'm changing the way I will be educating my children because I did this unit. Just because of the challenge. Just because of the challenge. It's one mm. thing to read a book that says these things are important, and it's another thing to experience it. Mm. And so that's one of the things that we um, we really encourage our, our families to do. If families are um, using the curriculum with their kids, if these uh, the conversations from old Western culture end up around the dinner table – then we've succeeded. Like that's what we mm. want to see. It's not just the the point is not to pass an exam or a grade. If they're bringing these stories to the dinner table and it's part of the education of the family as a whole mm. at all age levels, and that does happen, then then the curriculum is working. Nice, nice. I know that. Um, I so we we've seen how it's designed for high school students. Um, the older people, parents, and adult education enjoy it. I think I also remember hearing um, at least one story of. Um, a family who uh, the the high schoolers were watching the lectures and in the evening and then the parents came in and were watching and then the younger siblings came in and were watching and yeah. by the time the lecture was done the schoolwork was done the younger siblings were like oh mom can we watch one more can we yep. please watch so it's, <laughs> it's it's i'm not surprised that it's designed for the whole family yeah. um so we've dived into Old Western Culture, our great books program tell 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 everyone a little bit more about that what is Old Western Culture this course. Yeah. So old Western culture was, um, uh, uh, what, I founded Roman roads, it wasn't the first thing we worked on, but it was the thing that I knew I wanted to do from, from day one. Um, it, a very important part of it is of course the, the main, um, author or presenter is, uh, Wes Callahan, um, who is a real master of the classics, mm. a storyteller. It's the, uh, person you want to, um, you know, Grandpa, you want to listen to you want to listen to him tell stories by the fireplace. Mm. Um, so he has been teaching the great books for about thirty years. Um, is a pioneer in, in classical online education through. Uh, he's founded a school of classical tutorials, and one of one of the regrets of my childhood is that we didn't know about him. Uh, so my wife did though, and uh, was is a scholar graduate, and I've had I have a good friend who was in Germany at the same time, so overseas as well, um, who was taking his classes. So I could have been uh, in high school with my future wife. I just didn't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he taught a, a great books four year great books program. Um, and the the results of those students, so I've known a lot of different Scola uh, Tutorials graduates. A lot of them ended up coming to New St. Andrews. Um, the results of that education is evident. It's beautiful. I um, married a graduate, so <laughs> that says something. Um, and and so and as I got to know Wes Callahan myself, I knew realized this was something to to capture. This was something I wanted to. Um, uh, capture his experience on camera and um and I did so so all of our courses uh, um, there is not a if you watch all of our video courses because we do specialize in video courses mm. um you'll there isn't a set pattern every author teaches a little differently and we mm. radically adapt our format around the mm. teacher so uh 
Wes Callahan um, does not sit behind a podium in a classroom with a blackboard behind him. Mm. He, we filmed um, most of it, uh, all of it, in, in a chair, in a studio setting. Most of it was in his actual library in his basement. Uh-huh. Um, you wouldn't necessarily guess that from the video. We did move some things around, bring in some <laughs> professional lights. Uh-huh. But though he is surrounded by his books mm-hmm. um, in his chair. Yeah, he likes that comfortable setting where yes. you can really tell stories, engage with the subjects, engage with students. Yeah, Correct. And um, uh, early on, as we started releasing trailers and stuff, people would say, um, you know, um, he's, he's using a teleprompter, right? And no, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> he is lecturing from the, um, um, from the books themselves. He has m- margins in the notes of the books. Those are mm-hmm. his notes. Mm-hmm. And he actually has a stated position against um, class notes. He believes that if a teacher creates class notes, it is a <laughs> high temptation to stop learning mm. and to just use those notes year after year. So in his own <laughs> classes for years and years, yeah. he never delivered the same class. Uh, he would reread the classics over and over again as class preparation, and then it was guided discussion. Very very Socratic, anti, <laughs> anti-writing. <laughs> right. So um, – with old Western culture, he, we, we would come in and it this is a very odd thing for a production company, but uh-huh. we actually didn't really know what we were going to cover <laughs> until afterwards. And so old I'm Western, a little nervous going into that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so old Western culture, I mean, we, we did plan out what books we were going to yeah, cover, yeah. but that was it. And so hmm. old Western culture was, uh, we created, um, more formal curriculum, including workbooks and exams and, mm. you know, the, um, fleshed it out. Um, based on what we what we captured but mm. it's not a scripted thing and that's been important to the dna of roman roads is that um, roman roads does not write curriculum mm. we don't have a board yeah. that writes um you know that looks over what needs to be covered the the uh, state board of education is obviously not involved um <laughs> what yeah. we approach some of the best master teachers who have taught who have a career of teaching who are masters of their subject who love their subject who are obviously in love with their subject uh, such that it's contagious and we produce um curriculum around them Based you know that. even if it's a textbook mm-hmm. so in the case of uh, mitch stokes with calculus for everyone for example we uh, um are going to be um creating a video course fairly soon, but it mm. came out with a textbook first. Mm. But it's one of those textbooks where you, the the author's love of the subject just flows through. So mm. um, a video allows that more visually, obviously. Mm. And um, and that's that's how we approach curriculum building. Mm. Courses um, and, are not designed by committee. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's, and that's the nice thing. So we're based here in Moscow, Idaho. I think that's one of the, the nice things about being based here is that we have so many people who love classical Christian education have a, a real passion for their subjects and passion for their students. Um, and I love that we're able to infect students with that. Uh, well, that's, this is probably not the time in, the, <laughs> in history to, to positively talk about infection, but infecting students with the love of the subject right. and love of um, the classical Christian approach. So, yeah, very nice. So that's, so that's old Western culture. Um, where does the name come from? Do you didn't you didn't come up with the name, right? The, the title "Old Western Culture." Where does yeah? So "Old Western Culture" is a uh, term coined by C.S. Lewis in his um, inaugural lecture as chair of um, medieval Renaissance um, medieval and Renaissance uh, uh, philosophy or literature yeah, uh, at right. Cambridge. Ah. <laughs> so it was. Uh, it's most known by um, so on the description of times or its Latin name de, de descriptione temporum, and uh, he is his main um, point of this lecture is that he was given the um, the title of chair of um, Renaissance uh, medieval and Renaissance le- literature, mm-hmm. which is two very very um, time periods that are span a lot of um, uh, time, mm-hmm. and so it was on the nature of time periods and how we talk uh, about those. So he is, and so he described a, um, you know, no one wakes up on the first day of the middle ages and say, Oh, uh-huh. first day of the middle ages, like you would have a new <laughs> right. year, a new, a new day of a year. Uh-huh. And so, um, he was talking about this, the nature of how we approach history and literature and time periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does draw a major division um, in the history of the world that he describes as old Western culture. He believes that mm-hmm. in the enlightenment period, there was a watershed moment where 
um, uh, between uh, uh, the the ideas and the foundation of the of Western culture that that all um, educated men held up to that point. Mm. Um, he goes so far as to make the the claim that um, pre-Christian man mm. and pre-enlightenment Christian man held more in common than post-enlightenment Christians. Mm, interesting. So that's, there, that's a big claim. It, it is. And, you know, and we're talking about the way we view um, reality, the universe, knowledge, mm. um, uh, the, the, the assumptions that we held in common were, were more, um, uh, were, were held with the, 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 the pre-Christian pagan mm, and the Christian universally. medievalist were, were more universal. So there was something, there was something going on from the ancient times all the way up to the medieval time that there was these consistent assumptions about the world, consistent philosophy, even among pagans and non-Christians, you're saying? That pagans um, correct. And, pagans and Christians were more similar right. than Christians Plato today. Plato and Aristotle and Augustine and the Church Fathers had certain assumptions in common mm. that modern Christians don't. Mm. That would that would be another way to put it. And so his, um, uh, we know we we're um, uh, he actually refers to himself as the uh, 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 the last living dinosaur, which I think hmm. was uh, he was actually a little down on himself, I th- <laughs> or on the, his his contemporaries. I think to say that because I don't know. I think Wes Callahan is another one, <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty dinosaur of a person. <laughs> in the sense, okay, so in the sense he's talking about, I need to define that. Okay, so. um, where, where he was saying, you know, there is a, um, you know, we can uh, look at the dinosaur bones. Mm. Um, and imagine what the living dinosaur was. Mm. But um, to see one in person, to live it, would tell us so much more than years of research on bones. Uh, um, I see. So also, a shepherd in Athens would understand something more intuitive about the nature of of the world, the ancient world, mm. than someone who is studying it from all our modern preconceptions. From far and, away. From far away. And mm. so he he would say he he lives in the... Um, old, in old Western culture, to the point where he mm. he's a he's a native. This is what he was claiming, mm. um, and, and I don't think that's completely dead. But um, yeah. to, to kind of go back to you know you know so why old Western culture mm. is um, these um, these ideas found in old Western culture are are not just okay. So they they were held in common, but they are what gave us who we are today. So mm. you can't understand the Enlightenment and the change. And how radically differently we think about just about everything mm. without first understanding where it came from. And which comes to probably the most common question we have about old Western culture, which is you start with the Greeks, great. Um, you go all the way through the early modern period, and then you stop. Why? Mm-hmm. And we stop at about Jane, Jane Austen yeah. is kind of the less continuous. Jane right? Austen, Dostoevsky. Um, then we give a little hat tip to Lewis and Tolkien at the end. But yeah. but we stop um, in this early modern period, right at the Enlightenment. We basically go up to the Enlightenment, we study the Enlightenment, and mm-hmm. then we stop. Um, it's not that we don't think students should be studying modern literature. Mm-hmm. It's not that we um, may not create curriculum for that. Matter of fact, we do have some for that period. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't call it old Western culture. Or at least we would have to define uh, how we're, you know, old Western culture, um, yeah. the ongoing story or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that's because um, the, you know, it, we, it would blur those lines to just trudge right through um, right. Uh, on what we're talking about. And we do believe it's really essential to understand that foundation, to stand on that foundation as we study modern literature. So mm. study modern literature but understand where it came from. I like to describe it as um, um, training wheels for the mind. Mm-hmm. Old Western culture, you can um, learn about the past, or sorry, learn about the, um, the present, the, the present mm-hmm. having um, had the training wheels of the past. So, you you know, a new student with a, a new mind who's not uh, um, encountered many errors in life by studying something more removed is is doing so with the protections of 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 uh, time thought mm. Christian thought reflection mm. instead of all the emotion of the present. So really, post enlightenment mm. is um, is too young 
we don't hmm. we to it's not that there are not great books it's not but we don't know which ones they are right it's right. not that they are they have not yet stood the, t- the test of time hmm. so maybe our great 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 grandchildren are going to be um reading something that comes out this year mm. but um, as one of as one of the great as one of the great books of of the west the greatest books in the world but we are too close to it right what We're was the um i think lewis gives a, a a picture of this it's like you can't see the cathedral when you're standing too close we're we're very very close to the to our own day and we can only really understand the significance of certain pieces of literature when we've had the chance to step back a right. few thousand years, right? Yeah, <laughs> and see the whole. Yeah, and um, Lewis may have said that, I, but actually, uh, Wes Callahan gives that illustration during one of the first rec- lecture, lectures of Old Western Culture about how to approach a book. He says, you know, mm. it's very easy to read closely, try to figure out what this paragraph is saying, be confused, and what you're doing there is that you're three inches from you know, uh, uh, a little, and one um, of the cornerstones. Yeah. That, cornerstones yeah. of a church of mm. a cathedral. He says, back up and get the whole thing. So w- mm. work through the book. Don't stop. Keep going. I mean, that was a very practical mm. advice, but it's that same principle of, uh, of, of understanding the whole before mm. you dig in. And if mm. you spend your life being three inches from the stone, you're, you may be very educated, but you'll miss the point. Right. You'll miss the big picture. Yeah. So that's, so that's kind of the, um, to, to, to kind of summarize a little bit, that's the focus of the old Western culture course, the, the foundations of the modern world. Um, do you think you could walk us through the structure a little bit? So there are four years, um, the Greeks, Romans, Christendom, which is the medieval period, and early moderns. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is a little bit of a different approach than um, some of the other uh, great books courses. A lot of great books courses will divide it into ancients putting the greeks and romans together and then christendom and then kind of modern something like that but you all actually decided to focus on just the greeks and then just the romans um could you tell us a little bit about that decision yeah so um some of the more popular um great books program will end up doing two cycles they'll do ancient medieval modern and then start it over again Mm -hmm. and so they they spend um longer going um over larger swaths in two passes. Um, we, hmm. we do um, one pass in four years instead of six, um, and we divide it, you know, in those, you know, um, Greeks, Romans, um, and the, um, and we don't go quite as far as some of those other programs. So we, um, the Greek and Roman period are so rich that um, we wanted to give um, more time to um what we actually put in the Roman program, um, some pe- towards the end of our Romans program, is what um, a lot of people would often associate with their medieval studies, uh, early um, early church, early church fathers, mm-hmm. um, and but most of all, they're simply skipped. So we have mm-hmm. about uh, not perfectly. There are a few in there that are more common, but there's about three um, uh, units of old Western culture that are mostly left out of other great books programs. Matter of fact, uh, discussion about the great books program should include discussion about what is a great book. Um, and, mm. and that's a, um, uh, we, we actually don't believe there is a canon of the great books, capital C. Um, uh, I think capital, that, great books, capital <laughs> G, capital B. Exactly. We, we like to use the lowercase. Uh, um, as time has gone on and we thought more about it, we started just kind of reverting to the lowercase there because mm. it's, um, um, there is a um, uh, the great books are are uh, can change in terms of what is mm. is needed. You want to weigh several different aspects of what the great include the great books. Some of them will always be there. Homer, of course, will always be there, um, but um, but mm. there are uh, and uh, stood the test of time as well as influence are two major aspects. That's why there's often a huge overlap. But some of the uh, guardians of the great books, which is why I think it's dangerous to have it be a canon, uh-huh. um, will leave books out that really should never have been left out. Really? Um, so the University of Chicago Press, the uh, Great Books Britannica series, um, mm-hmm. skips uh, almost 800 years between Augustine and Aquinas. There's very little um, really? um, great books added in that period. Huh even though there are books that match every description that ought to be included right. in a influential book excellent really um stood the t- test of time mm-hmm. where some of the m- most read books at their time um had uh, uh 
of high quality. <laughs> you know, there's they they hit everything except for one important aspect of the uh, which should not be one, but which is they were books from the age of faith. Ah, so I see. Uh, the the books from the age of faith were often um, or the dark ages, the dark, <laughs> dark ages, right? <laughs> were would be left out of these canons, um, and because the the people creating these canons of the great books, I believe, didn't fully understand what Lewis was talking about when he said old Western culture. Uh, so they were t- t- uh, looking at it from an enlightenment um, perspective on what was valuable. Right. So we include our old great books program includes books that other great book programs tend to leave out. Now we have most of the ones that, that you would, that you would recognize, um, but we actually have a few more um, included in that list from the early. And I, th- I think I remember Wes mentioning this in the, the early units of Christendom where there are church fathers um, he mentions that these are kind of, in some ways, new additions, but they really shouldn't be new additions. So, actually, we touched on one thing that I wouldn't mind digging into a, a little bit more. When we say the Dark Ages, and I hope that all the listeners can hear the scare quotes <laughs> on Dark Ages. Why, so, one, why is it called the Dark Ages, the, the um, medieval period? Why is it called the Dark Ages, and why is that not a fair uh, representation of that period, which West goes, West spends a great deal of time on digging into, but a, a short little explanation of that. Yeah. So the, um, uh, it is, well, by calling it the age of faith, I'm hinting at it. The, the dark ages were to the enlightenment mind, an age of, um, uh, superstition when, um, uh, when there was uh, no great, um, a contribution to what they would consider valuable uh, science uh, and you know technology technology yeah. those things which that, the roman period did have the romans uh, correct. had a lot of that correct and there was a certain uh, decline in terms of civilization during during a um you know after rome fell and 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 there, you know so there is it's not that there is there's no handle for that you can't accurately talk about in terms of decline of civilization but the the height of the middle ages or the height of the dark ages um was also some of the greatest uh, and lasting uh um, gave us the the greatest and most lasting contributions to western civilization whether it's some of the greatest cathedrals that are still standing or works of literature like dante or philosophy from anselm and aquinas um that are absolutely incredible and are will put to shame some of the great accomplishments of the enlightenment and mm. uh, period and science in a thousand years. In a thousand years, people will still be reading Dante. And I think there's a lot of the accomplishments of the enlightenment period that will have withered and no one will be, uh, it'll be science that was disproved. It'll be the next thing. It's a fad. It'll be like the grass. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, yeah. so yes, the, 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 uh, the middle ages ha- gave us some incredible, uh, lasting, um, contributions in many areas and do not deserve the title dark. Um, in almost every case in, when it comes to anything that really matters. Mm, very good. That's, I think that's one of the, the things that I've been most excited about getting into in, uh, as, as I've gone through the old, the old Western culture course, getting to see and fill in some of the gaps in my own knowledge. To um, take a, a different path, a different question that, um, uh, so we've been focusing a lot on this course. Um, back to, Roman roads. Mm-hmm. Why is it called Roman roads? Roman roads press. <laughs> um, a lot of people have, you know, kind of, okay, what have some assumptions about what this company is. Why is it, why is it called Roman? Yeah. Roads press? Yeah. So uh, f- first of all, it's called Roman roads press. Uh, many of you may have heard it referred to as Roman roads media. That's because it, we did, we focused uh, very heavily on uh, video courses in the beginning. And we were um, very early on, um, uh, a full publisher, mm. but uh, we recently changed it to press to more accurately reflect uh, the scope. But Roman Roads Media, Roman Roads Press. Mm-hmm. Why Roman Roads? Um, Is it because we're Roman Catholic? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I'll actually I'll, I'll circle back to that in a second. Um, but uh, um, the 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 reason it's called Roman Roads is uh, having grown up in uh, Lyon, 
France. Um, uh, a the the Roman name was Ludinum, and it was the center of of, of business, commerce, uh, culture for the Roman world. The two emperors were uh, born there. Uh, the the fourth emperor of Rome, Claudius, uh, most famously, and um, and so I grew up walking on Roman roads, and mm. uh, as a son of a of, of a uh, a minister of the gospel who uh, and church planter in France, um, I've grown up here uh, hearing. Um, him talk about the um, the spread of the gospel that mm. was enabled through the Roman roads. It was the oh. modern technology of the day uh, that enabled the actual roads. The actual the Roman, roads the of Rome. Empire. I'm talking the yeah. stone roads. We're talking about things that last stand the test of time. Oh. Those roads are still there. Like you, <laughs> I've walked on them. You know, you know, a lot of them are broken up by roadways and all that. But where you where they've been uncovered? I mean, those stones are still there. Mm. Um, so um, they. they um, the, that technology of the day enabled the Apostle Paul in particular, who may have gone through Lyon. We don't know the oh, for yeah. sure, but I'd, I'd like to think he did, <laughs> um, to, to spread throughout all of the modern world of the time. Mm. Um, the, the, um, the Roman Empire was a very particularly, um, uh, in a very particular way, prepared the, the, the ground for the gospel to be received mm. throughout the world. Mm. Uh, if you go back in time, um, had Christ come in an earlier time, it, it would it would have um, there there would not have been the same ability to just for it to spread throughout the world, and so mm, I, quickly. I, uh, um, the Roman Empire really provided that. So um, when um, we started Roman Roads, this was um, um, you know the internet has been an incredible blessing to us to spread. Um, uh, quality material. So we, uh, the idea of Roman roads is that just as the roads of Rome allowed the gospel to spread throughout the world u- using that technology, so the the internet and modern technology, whether it's mm. printing technology as well, is enabling us to bring good quality classical Christian education throughout the modern world today. Mm. Um, and so that's where Roman roads. Uh, if you look at our logo, it's it's the it's a it's a Roman column with a road weaving behind it forming an r so mm-hmm. if you look closely it's, it's not very obvious so mm. you'll notice it next time <laughs> um so yeah that's uh that's where it comes from mm. uh the uh, it does have the word roman in it and so you, you said are we roman catholic <laughs> we're not roman catholic <laughs> um although um we have uh a uh a uh, mere Christian approach to our curriculum mm. such that um, we are have ha- we do have a lot of Catholic um, uh, customers who appreciate our materials and use our materials. So mm. um, this is a, a, a good percentage of our, our clientele are um, are from multiple denominations of the Christian faith. And so um, that's um, that's something that we've done very much on purpose. So mm. we are making um, it accessible to all forms of Christianity. Uh, that's right. Um, we are, the the leaders at Roman Roads are um, are Protestants, uh, re- Reformed, historic Reformed Protestants, and as such, we we want um, to be we view the the books that are like the Church Fathers that are often more um, associated with the Catholic Church. Um, we consider those just as much our shared inheritance, mm. and so um, our, uh, Saint Augustine is one of my favorite um, authors and. Mm. Uh, and I share that love with John Calvin. Uh, it was John Calvin that pointed me to all the church fathers. <laughs> and so uh, I, it's an encouragement to um, both Catholics and Protestants to be reading this shared um, uh, foundation of, 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 of Christendom. This shared inheritance. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what other curricula uh, Roman Rhodes has also put out? We've gone into old Western culture a great bit. What other curricula do we have right um so i'll just um highlight a few so first of all calculus for everyone is um um our fairly new release came out last year Mm -hmm. with uh, dr mitch stokes who is um um a philosopher Mm. a theologian and a scientist with uh five patents in aerodynamics so you know not just (laughs) a uh, theoretical oh yeah uh and uh, he has degrees for all of those, by the way. He papers oh, yeah. as well with them. <laughs> um, so uh, he is a, comes from a fairly unique perspective of of when writing a calculus textbook, um, and and um, and has the ability to say with with authority, you know, the, we 
need to be, um, these disciplines need to be brought together. So mm-hmm. calculus for everyone is um, for two kinds of people. Um, those who plan to um, go into uh, um, advanced math mm-hmm. and science, math scientific people. fields, or uh, um, uh, whether they're going to be an engineer um, or scientist, um, it'll be a, a great foundation to get that integrated perspective before they go on to advanced math to understand kind of the why uh, mm. you're doing this. Uh, several people who have been um, who have used the book have told us, I, "Oh, this is what I wish I'd had before I went on to higher mm. math and calculus." Um, so it's it's for them. It's also for the student who doesn't plan to go on <laughs> and be a scientist, hence the title calculus for everyone. Um, mm. and, w- in, and in that case is a replacement for, um, for a traditional calculus course. Mm. Uh, I believe the, um, uh, national t- statistic is that roughly 25% of high schoolers take calculus and half in private classical schools. So it's a very, um, low amount that actually take calculus for those who wouldn't normally take it. This book is for them and would, would replace that calculus text. It gives them again that big picture. Mm. Okay, now I see so where this some fits. Of the philosophy and, and history, right? F- the philosophy and history of calculus, and you actually do calculus, mm. um, but it's it's not just about calculus. It, it really you are you are doing the math, the math, mm. um, but it's uh, it, it would be a um, um, that introduction to it. Um, if you're not going to be going on, is also uh, you know, very useful so that instead of saying, oh, I never took calculus, you say, well, I, I didn't go into the science field, but I know what it's talking about. I know, mm. um, I know what, I know what we're talking yeah. about here. Um, it's, it's a, well, it's a good way to, um, make that student well-rounded who's not going to go into those fields. So right. that's calculus for everyone. Um, and, um, yeah, um, l- let me move on to a couple others. The, um, another one we're doing is, uh, Picta Dicta. Mm-hmm. Um, which is our Latin curriculum with uh, Tim Griffith, uh, is the creator of Picta Dicta. Um, it is a, um, a a Latin or lang- really language because there's Latin um, and soon at one point, mm-hmm. you heard it here first, <laughs> Greek <laughs> wow. uh, and Hebrew. So uh, there are other languages coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, Calculus for Everyone is a language acquisition program. Uh, uh, Picta Dicta. You said calculus for everyone. Oh. <laughs> Picta dicta is a, thank you. Yeah. Is a language acquisition program that um, that uses um, uh, in, incredible imagery throughout mm. the program. It's it's based on an app that um, that is a f- far more than flashcards. Uh, people who hear about it often say, "Oh, like a flashcard system." And if flashcards were two sides of a coin, Picta dicta is a dice, you know, <laughs> multifaceted. Uh, it teaches you the vocabulary and the grammar of Latin from, you know, visually through stories, definitions, mm. um, games. Um, you hear it, you see it, you practice it. Um, and so there is a, it is a, a very effective way to get from um, whether you are a more casual Latin learner and, and want to, you know, learn the endings and um, vocabulary because maybe you want to go into a, a scientific field where that vocabulary is helpful, or mm-hmm. if you want to end up reading the Aeneid, reading Latin, this, mm-hmm. this, both, um, uh, this program will accommodate both of those approaches and, um, will, will create Latin speakers, um, mm. which again, maybe this will be another episode. Why <laughs> learn to speak Latin? Mm. You should, but that might be a little long. Maybe we can get Tim Griffith in here to talk yeah. about it. So he can say it a lot better I'm, than I can. I'm sure that he has some thoughts about that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's actually a full-bodied approach. It's not just memorizing charts. It's not right. just having words flashed at you. It actually gets you thinking in Latin, thinking in yeah. the language, which is really the goal of all language acquisition programs. For any language, ancient or modern, you want to think in that language and not just be decoding it. So yeah. I've, it's a great program that I'm excited that we get to dig into in free, in future episodes. Yeah. So, um, we have also got a couple other curricula. Um, yes. So the, we are, we also have grammar of poetry. Grammar of poetry is, was actually our first program we created ah. 10 years ago. We began huh. work on that. Um, and is a, um, it's not a, a, poetry appreciation it's the when we say grammar we mean the the foundations mechanics mechanics of poetry Mm. so um a lot of um people will um 
approach poetry immediately through what does this mean to you? Appre- you know, appreciation. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and how this does it make you feel. Yeah, how does it exactly? Which is not an irrelevant question. No, but uh, <laughs> precisely. Um, calculus <laughs> for everyone. Really, go through the mechanics of poetry so that you understand. Po- poetry for everyone. Grammar poetry. You said calculus for everyone again. I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Grammar Gra- poetry. Grammar poetry. Um, uh, uh, so it goes through the mechanics of poetry that allows um, students to understand how poetry works. Mm. Um, mm. So it's it's uh, comes before. Uh, ideally, you would do this before you go into a poetry appreciation. We've we've had mm. um, uh, teachers say they they went all the way through college um, with you know degrees in 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 um, that involve poetry, mm-hmm. and they never learned. These things, huh. <laughs> some of the basics, like a, a trochee and a dactyl, and and uh, the the actual construction, how to put together a poem. Uh, correct, right? correct. Yeah, learning how oh. you know meter, rhyme, um, uh, in in a very you know learning them in a, so they they encounter all these things, but they never just had them laid out for them. We actually oh. had a um, uh, a Wycliffe Bible translator uh, purchase the program. Yeah, um, because he, you know he said you know I'm I'm I translate the Bible and. Um, it's um, what he was seeing in grammar poetry was um, that it teaches the cadences and the rhythm of the English language in a way that would help him be a Bible translator, especially because Bible translators often rely on some of the, you know, the King James. Mm -hmm. Um, There are um, uh, so many uh, texts that we, we will read that we don't uh, recognize the meter and the rhyme Mm -hmm. and the, uh, um, the form of of those those um, works. So, mm-hmm. if you're going to be reading the King James Bible, you'd be benefited by a program like the Grammar Poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. You'll encounter it. So, uh, in many ways, if you're going to be writing a speech for your daughter's wedding, you know the the, the practice from Grammar Poetry. So, mm-hmm. this is a sixth through ninth grade course technically, mm-hmm. and yet I've, we've had adults use it, right. like <laughs> like many of our courses, right. ninth grade plus, high school plus. It's I'm not yeah. surprised. I'm I'm not surprised that adults, a lot of adults, will use that. Yeah, nice. Um, speaking of language, can you tell us a little bit about our rhetoric curriculum? Ah, yes. So um, rhetoric is um, the art of. Some have uh, defined it as the art of a good man speaking well. Mm. Um, uh, General re- study of rhetoric. Yeah. Um, rhetoric is a often um, overlooked art, um, and because they will, so it, it should come after the study of logic in an ideal sequence. Mm. And um, a, a lot of uh, people have um, um, uh, argued, whether it's from learning grammar, logic, or rhetoric, they will at various stages um, sit, you know, in the most extreme instance, they'll say kids will learn grammar naturally. And so, you know, mm. and uh, th- there are people who <laughs> advocate that uh, not okay. so much in classical <laughs> circles. Right. Um, you know, you, you don't need, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll learn how to write um, by just kind of hearing, you know, um, um, yeah. uh, uh, intuitively yeah. intu- kind of okay. pick it up instead of stu- formally studying writing. Um, so then you move to, to logic. Um, you'll have people who, who, um, who feel you shouldn't, the formal study of logic is not necessary because, you know, well, you mm. pick up basic logic and along the way. And again, that's something where the classical education field has pretty much said, no, 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 we need the, the study of logic. Formal study. Oh. What is more common among classical educators is, uh, or again, not all, but um, mm. is, is they would say the formal art of speaking is something that we can just pick up. You know, again, I'm, I'm kind of showing a pattern okay. here. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, and I think that's wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> rhetoric um, is actually the um, the capstone of a classical education in a, in a very particular sense, in that it's the synthesis of everything that you've been learning. If, mm. if you understand it by, you know, you've learned to write, and then you've learned to to think in a straight line. Logic is learning to connect uh, mm. in a straight line, uh, thoughts in a straight line. And then um, rhetoric is the synthesis. So you're learning not just um, what to say and that it is correctly aligned, but how to effectively communicate it. Mm. And um, looking at the um, scope of, of, I'm going to say American, but really it's just kind of where the world is right now. Mm. Um, One of the things that I notice is that conservatives in particular Mm -hmm. understand logic 
they often appeal to logic. They say, the facts, <laughs> the facts, look at the facts. Um, and one of the reasons they are not always effective is that they are um, they don't understand the relation between logos, ethos, and pathos. Mm-hmm. Logos is the appeal to reason. Ethos is the appeal to authority. Pathos is the appeal to uh, um, emotion. And all mm-hmm. of those are good, effective, necessary necessary tools mm-hmm. and um that you do a lot in rhetoric but ultimately understanding mm-hmm. those three their place and how they interact with each other to mm-hmm. me are the is the most important aspect that a child would walk away from hmm. from the study of logic or sorry uh, the study of, of rhetoric yeah, is yeah. the is it, you know logic is the skeleton is the bones you need it mm-hmm. rhetoric is the flesh mm-hmm. um, making you, it alive it's it's the flesh on the bones. Mm. The the um you've learned how to write, you know, you've learned knowledge, and now you 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 go out there and you say it to your aunt Susie or to your neighbor who maybe is mm. does not believe the same things you believe, and it's just you know it's abrasive. Mm-hmm. Rhetoric teaches you how to learn your audience, mm-hmm. how to communicate the truth in love, mm. how to um how to love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. The, the right way, you know. That's a term mm-hmm. that's used a lot today, um, and it just and it often means to just kind of back off and believe anything. Rhetoric is is the the art of effective communication, mm. whether that's written, spoken. Um, that's what fitting words rhetoric is is all about. Mm. Fitting words, fitting words rhetoric, uh, classical rhetoric for the Christian student. Very nice. I think just to um, have one small thought here, I think that uh, it's it's funny that we. Uh, it, to most modern people, the word rhetoric is a bad word. Oh, right. he's it's rhetoric, a pure rhetorical device. It's kind of that's sleazy. all rhetoric. It's all deception. Means nothing. But I think that um, Neil Neil Postman in uh, "Amusing Ourselves to Death" was talking about um, how to present and communicate truth and why communication matters. And he pointed out that in the trial of Socrates, the fact that he wasn't rhetorical. That appeals to us because we're like, oh, rhetoric gets in the way mm. of truth. But to the Athenians, to the Greeks, rhetoric it gave form to truth. You couldn't speak mm. the truth the way that they thought about it. It was so rhetoric and truth were so integrally connected that it was hard to speak truth without the rhetorical presentation of truth and so that's was very important to them and we've kind of lost that in the modern world but right those are are really very interconnected paul um you know the beauty of the gospels the beauty of the new testament um uh, and and the old testament integrally connected with um the craft of presenting truth poetically um, but not letting poetry get in the way of what you're trying to say just the the union of beauty and logic is kind of Right, what rhetoric is, and that's right. R- rhetoric is for it, it. Really, is for everyone because we all inca- we all speak. You know, <laughs> right. um, we're people of the word. We should be people of words, as as Doug Wilson said in in um in a, in, a, in something recorded years ago for grammar poetry, actually. Mm. Um, but uh, the um um so um now I'm forgetting. It's a famous guy, but now I'm forgetting the name. <laughs> wrote Sacred Rhetoric. It was a, a lecture for, um, it was a, a book and, and lecture series for um, seminarians. Mm. And and it's it's a, a remarkably close to a, a book like Fitting Words or a, a, a good, well, classical rhetoric course. Mm. Um, and and yet it was it, or oriented towards pastors. You know, the, the necessity of, um, of, of, um, uh, for for pastors to to learn because of, uh, of homiletics, of course, but just mm. in terms of, of communicating to congregants. But rhetoric is for it's for pastors. It's for um, it's for high school students who are in today's world who are going to be talking to neighbors. It's for um, mothers who now have to um, uh, uh, in a, in a world that's more divided are going to end up needing to use oh, yeah. the use of, of 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 words to defend some of our most basic things we've taken for granted. Mm. These are um, rhetoric is a um, is is a training that is um, really you can't do without it anymore. You're going right. to be doing rhetoric. It's uh, um, so rhetoric <laughs> yes. is a bad word. We will be using words and communicating our thoughts one way or another. 
it's mm-hmm. this is training how to do it effectively mm-hmm. um that more and more it's there's less of that option to um to opt out right <laughs> so uh train your train classically um train give your kids a classical education that includes rhetoric mm. that includes poetry that includes history humanities um <laughs> and you're going to be equipping them with a well or you know finish it off with rhetoric it ties it all together mm. and uh they will be uh um, as uh indy wilson says dangerous to the world ah dangerous in a good way yes yeah. Yeah. well i think that that actually answers the question that i was about to ask which was um what can subscribers uh look forward to in future podcasts and future episodes of this show on poetry on humanities on rhetoric logic uh classical education did i miss anything (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna have um you know conversations like this we're gonna bring in some people i you know i like to have Tim Griffith in here to talk about why oh, Latin, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, for example. I'd like to have Mitch Stokes here to talk more about calculus for everyone mm-hmm. and STEM and, um, yeah. and, and, and it's it, it, the, the importance there of, of combining those. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we'll have conversations. We'll also have um, um, more uh, prepared um, rec- uh, lectures where we're going to. Um, these will be shorter ones where you might um, we might have a um, uh, something from Digressio Magazine. Um, mm-hmm. something that's been written ahead, um, mm-hmm. uh, prepared. And then we'll also have discussions that directly walk through either books or curriculum that we've written or others have written, mm-hmm. um, walking through those ideas. So, nice. so people will, if they subscribe, they'll actually get the opportunity to listen to lectures like some of the old Western culture lectures. There will be a few old Western culture lectures, ah. uh, as part of the podcast. Correct? Oh, very nice. With a little introduction. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, it won't just come out of nowhere, but yeah. Yeah. I know that that's uh, when we post it in our Facebook group. Uh, sometimes when we have sales, we'll live stream lectures. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of discussion about a lot of people's favorite lectures on, yes. on yeah. novels and Tolkien and Lewis and yeah. uh, some of the Roman writers. And we'll be, we'll be including some of the favorites in the, uh, in the podcast. Oh, very nice. Well, much more of all of that in future episodes. Um, if any of that interests you, I would suggest um, clicking subscribe to stay up to date with future podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Degressio Podcast. Until next time, read your Bible, read a good book, and keep inheriting the humanities. <laughs>